everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Fox 12 Weather Podcast. This is episode 63. Today is Thursday, August 3rd. I'm meteorologist Jeff Orgeron, joined by meteorologist Katie Suniga. Hey, Katie. Hello. Caught me at home today. Yeah, and <laughs> joined by uh, Camilla Ortiz as well in studio. Hey, Camilla. Yes. Hello, Jeff and Katie. And <laughs> if you're curious where I'm uh, recording from, I'm in my basement per usual. Uh, this is kind of like... <laughs> Uh, my little weather zone, my little man cave here, um, <laughs> allows me to do it from home. So, uh, yeah, guys, um, we have officially wrapped up the month of July. We have a lot to go over in terms of stats mm-hmm. and how things played out. And we'll obviously get into things in August, what the typical expectations are, how things have played out so far, what we're seeing in the forecast. Um, we have a weather term of the week that we'll be talking about later on. And Ooh. if we have some time, we would also like to give you updates on how things are going in the gardens and maybe uh, ask Camilla what kind of races she has coming up because I'm sure she has <laughs> something were, scheduled. I thought you were going to say, ask Camilla what new plant in her yard she's allowed to die. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're not allowing you to die anything if that's the way you want to okay. uh, say it. So. I actually, you know, really quickly, I did mention like a few weeks back that I was, um, I had a tomato starter that I wanted to give you. I've been nursing it out front. Now that it's August though, it's almost pointless because uh, a lot of us are starting to harvest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll maybe hold off until next year. I'm not going to give you that same one next year though. It'll probably okay. be toast by that point. I'm just waiting for some like vegetables or something. Like I haven't, I haven't had anything brought to me here in the weather center. Yeah. Well, Katie has a smirk. My fault. Katie has a smirk on her face. I had cucumbers sitting on my counter waiting to bring her yesterday. And I just walked out the door. And as soon as I saw her face in the weather center, the cucumbers popped in my head. I was so disappointed. So now they're sitting there. And I'm not going to see her till next Wednesday. So they will probably be eaten by then. Yeah. And Jeff, I even even brought her a peach. I brought her a fresh peach from a peach farm. She did. Spoiler alert. fail. Spoiler alert, I might have some things to share um, because the <gasps> harvest is growing over here. Yes. Um, so, yes, yes. yeah, we'll talk about that toward the end. Um, mm-hmm. Let's go over, guys, let's go over some things that uh, went on yeah. in July. Um, July came in as the warmest month on record globally. That's official. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so there were s- multiple heat domes building, which are strong areas of high pressure that build up, up in the mid to upper levels of the atmosphere and bring sinking air. And they don't move very much. So mm-hmm. they can bring not only extreme heat, but prolonged heat. We talked about this in the past couple of uh, episodes, I believe, the podcast. Uh, we were tracking some of the extreme heat down in the desert southwest. Um, I have some unbelievable stats to share with you. Um, so let's talk about uh, things that happened in the United States. We'll kind of pepper in some stats sure. uh, that happened globally. Um so we'll start off with July 16th. Death Valley hit 128 degrees. Um, Death Valley hits, you know, 120 plus degree heat essentially almost every summer. It's um, part of Death Valley is below sea level. Um, it's a, an extreme area. Um, so mm-hmm. in terms of heat, it is. So it's not totally mm-hmm. unusual. But that was two degrees off of the most reliable temperature record recorded there. Now um, the WMO. Uh, has the hottest temperature ever recorded at 134, but uh, that's um, debated by a lot of climate scientists. So um, many believe that it is 130 degrees. So we'll just 
Assume that it's 130, but the record says 134. It was awfully close to that. Um, a small town in northwest China recorded its hottest temperature ever for the entire country of China at 126 degrees. Um, wow. You guys want to hear some pretty amazing stats in Phoenix, Arizona? Um, yes. Phoenix, Phoenix went from June 30th to July 30th, 31 straight days, with highs at and above 115 degrees. Um, Phoenix has now recorded more 115 plus degree days than it has ever seen in a year. And they all came in July, I believe. Um, totally so wild. it wasn't just 110 plus, it was a lot of 115 plus degree heat. Um, so get this, uh, they went 16 days in a row in Phoenix with overnight lows at and above 90 degrees. Um, and one of those was an all time record warm low. So a record warm night with a low of 97 degrees. Um, so <laughs> this is putting major stress on uh, a lot of the wildlife, but uh, there are reports mm -hmm. of the cacti um, in in Arizona that are highly stressed because of the heat, the prolonged heat out there. Um, and this, this isn't just Phoenix, it's other parts of the desert Southwest, the Great Basin, and that extends into the Southern Plains and out into the Southeast. In fact, Florida experienced mm -hmm. its warmest July on record much of the uh, ocean around Florida, the sea surface temperatures are in the 90s for yeah. the record. Um, Crazy. You only need temperatures, sea surface temperatures at about 80 degrees or higher for hurricanes to strengthen in. So this is bathwater out there. And there's mm. a part of um, near southern Florida, I believe, let's see, it's a buoy south of um, Manatee Bay. So that's south of Miami. Um, this was back on July 31st, I believe, they recorded a sea surface temperature of 101 degrees, which is like scorching heat. Um, the water there, it tends to get warmer in that part of, uh, you know, off the coast of Southern Florida, because what, from what I understand, the sand is darker, so it absorbs more heat. Oh, but, that makes sense. Um, guys, there's mm -hmm. a lot of chloral around uh, that part of Florida or in that part yeah. of the ocean. And uh, there's there's some really intense chloral bleaching going on. So they're seeing the chloral dying out there. And that's a essential part of our food chain. So that that's a really alarming thing to see. Um, so pretty extreme heat down in the Southeast. Um, parts of South America right now, basically by between the end of July and early August, have been experiencing an extreme winter heat wave. Mm. Um, so parts of Chile and Argentina, um, from what I understand, have seen record temperatures August is like equivalent to February in yeah. the Southern Hemisphere. And um, parts of the uh, the foothills of the Andes have seen temperatures spike above 100 degrees. Um, there are many major cities in South America that have seen record temperatures. But to hear about 100 plus degree heat in what would be equivalent to February is pretty extreme. I actually yeah. looked at the most uh, the hottest temperature ever recorded in Death Valley in February is 98 degrees so and death valley is below sea level uh, from what i understand and this is at elevations of three to four thousand feet in the andes so um Jeez. pretty extreme heat down there let's transition to portland and salem mm -hmm. and some mm -hmm. other cities and then we'll talk about normals i want you guys to kind of uh kind of bring it back home and get our viewers yeah. to uh recognize what we can typically understand is what it what a normal august is so um in july Portland experienced its sixth warmest uh, July when you averaged the highs and lows together. Mm -hmm. um, 
you guys, we, we talked about how the heat dome has been basically centered over the desert Southwest. We've been on the edge of it for most of um, the past month, month and a half. Um, so it wasn't our most extreme July. Uh, Salem recorded its 10th warmest July. Um, most major cities here in the Northwest did not see their most extreme heat in July. But I mean, we had PDX had seven days in the 90s, one at 98 degrees. Salem had eight days in the 90s, um, two at 98 degrees, I believe. So we had some pretty pretty decent heat up here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've managed to stay away from triple-digit heat so far. Yeah, um, that's been huge. It's yeah. been a win, I would say. Yeah. Um, and then the times that we've hit the 90s here, it hasn't been like a week or two. It's only been a couple of days, and then we're back to right. something more reasonable, Yeah, yeah which is it, very nice. It feels like more – and we call that kind of like a progressive pattern where – we don't have the same system sit over us for long stretches mm-hmm. of time. Unfortunately, yeah. it hasn't been the case down south. But, um, but yeah, we're in the midst of a little heat wave right now as well. Um, mm-hmm. Guys, do you have the stats so far for um, so far in this heat wave and so far in August? Maybe we can kind of go over that. Um, some folks will tune in a little bit later than when we previously recorded this. So let's go over that, and then we'll talk about the normals for August. Sure. Who wants to take, do you want me to take that, uh, Katie, since I did the forecast here? Yeah, yeah I, have the, I have the normals for August, so I'll, I'll take that one. Yeah, so, well, we did hit 90 degrees yesterday, which would have been Wednesday in Portland, and we're thinking that's going to be the case today. At last check, we were in the mid-80s, right? Is that what we talked about just a little bit ago? Yep, mm-hmm. 85, just before 3 p.m. So, you know, that that's possible upper 80s to to 90 degrees. And then we've got three more days in our seven-day forecast here, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, where we're going to be in the low 90s and overnight lows in the kind of low to mid 60s. So definitely warmer than average, but it's nice to see that, you know, we're still cooling quickly at night, getting comfortable uh, pretty quickly in the evening. Uh, And then it looks like Monday, Tuesday, we've got kind of a weak, uh, you know, system coming through, bring us more cloud cover, and we'll be back down into the 80s. Looks like Monday, which was kind of a new development because initially it looked like, yeah, it looked like Monday could be our warmest warmest day, but that ridge is really retreating a lot more quickly than than what models were initially putting out. Right, Jeff? Yeah, I noticed that. um, So model runs yesterday were hinting at Monday possibly being the warmest day, but yeah. You know, things can change pretty quickly given our proximity to the ocean. And as soon as that ocean mm-hmm. air starts to pour in, it can change. So, yeah, I noticed the overnight runs came in a little bit cooler for Monday, mm-hmm. which is nice. We'll get a little relief for a few days. Um, and before we kind of get into the long range expectations, long range uh-huh. forecast, Katie, you know, we're in the first few days of August. Um, yeah. August, from what I understand, is one of the warmest months that we, we have here in the Northwest. Yeah. So, why don't you go over, you know, what we usually see at the beginning, end of August, uh, precipitation, expectations, things like that. Yeah. So August is our warmest and second driest month. So we typically start off as in our, we see the end of July and into the first week or two of August, we're at 84. So that's our seasonal high temperature. And then as we get through the middle of August, we start backing back off and getting back into the lower 80s. And then we end the month on the 31st at 80 degrees. So we stay in the 80s, but we do see that backing off. And as far as the rains go, typically, you know, this is our last meteorological 
summer month, mm. even though, um, you know, we just kind of start looking at different things a little, we do a little different in the fall, but if we get just a little more than a half inch of rain in July, it's usually a half inch. The so last month we only had two days of trace amounts and going into the month, obviously we haven't had anything yet, which means we're at what, 44 counting today. Yep. Uh, I think today dry. would be 45 if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, as yeah. of yesterday, 45. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're right in, right in that range. And so what I was looking ahead on is if we continue with the seven day dry streak, that'll bring us right up to just below being in the top five longest dry streaks mm. that there is. I believe 54, 55 days is the number five position. Yeah. So if we continue into August as it looks with no precipitation, um, then we'll get into that into that top five. Our wettest August on record was back in 1968, and we hit just a little more than four and a half inches. And then the mm. driest was last year, and we just had a trace, and that was in 2022. So the hottest afternoon we've had was 107, and the warmest night was 73. So with the low to mid 60s that we're looking at right now, we're not looking at hitting that record. So, so, so we, under the right circumstances, under the right weather pattern, we can see some pretty extreme heat in the month of August. And I think a lot of uh, Northwesterners have thought of August as, yeah, that's a, that's a month we get pretty hot in. Um, For sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and going back to that dry streak, um, not including a trace amount, we're talking about measurable rain. Uh, mm -hmm. So our dry streak's at 44, probably going to be 45 by the end of the day today. That's 45 days in a row at PDX. We haven't recorded measurable rain. Um, I believe 51 days would pop us up into the top 10. So Katie was mentioning mm -hmm. the top five. We have a graphic that shows that, and we'll probably keep on updating that. Um, and it's it's kind of a, an important thing that we're tracking. I know we tend to focus in on Portland, but that guys, that's you know our most populated city locally here. Um, mm -hmm. But the entire Northwest is very dry. We've had, you know, we had our first heat wave in mid-May and we had a few instances of rain here and there since then, but we've been pretty dry and pretty warm consistently and, you know, warmer days than normal bring uh, more evaporation yeah. and it sucks a lot of the moisture out of the vegetation. So, um, Camilla, we, yesterday we were under a fire weather watch and then during mm -hmm. your guys' shift, um, it was upgraded to a red flag yeah. warning. Can you talk about that and, um, and why this red flag warning is in place and where it's located. Yeah, so it's really for most of central and eastern Oregon. Really, the only exception is kind of along the gorge, like northern portion of the state. But pretty much all of central and eastern Oregon under that red flag warning uh, kicked off this morning. And it doesn't expire until Friday night. And uh, yeah, like you mentioned, Jeff, things are just super dry out there. We're seeing that breeze kicking up in the afternoon, so it gets gusty. And then on top of that, we're throwing in some isolated thunderstorms. We're already seeing some. I just checked the radar maybe 15, 20 minutes ago, and I'm seeing flashes of lightning kind of trekking north between Burns and Pendleton. So, you know, if you get a lightning strike, that that's a new fire start or could be a new fire start, and things could definitely spread rapidly. So uh, that's why the National Weather Service upgraded that fire weather watch. Yeah, we... I want to throw something in there real quick. Mm -hmm. So just because I've been tracking drought status in central Oregon for a very long time, one thing to say on a positive note about this is if you look at that drought map, 
So they're in severe, I believe. Mm -hmm. But since I've been a weather geek and since I've been tracking weather, they have been an exceptional and extreme. So because of what we did have over the winter and, and the extra stuff that we got, even though this is all very important and watching it, their drought level is the lowest it has been since I've been paying attention to it. Yeah. So just wanted to put a, a little side note on that is it's actually better than it has been in a very long time. Yeah. The drought, the drought status, at least. We did see some big improvements uh, just in general in the Northwest uh, mm -hmm. from our, from our, you know, very wet and yeah. snowy uh, winter that we yeah. had. Um, that being said, this is the driest time of year, essentially. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so these lightning strikes. Now I will say, from what I've seen um, from computer model runs, high resolution runs, um, eventually some of these thunderstorms will look like they're going to be pretty juicy. So I don't think we're going to have these, you know, huge instances or, of, or examples of uh, dry lightning. Um, mm -hmm. Dry lightning is when you don't have a lot of precipitation falling from a thunderstorm and that can lead mm -hmm. to a fire start. And, but that being said, I think that we could see some new fire starts because we're going to go for a 48 hour period with waves of monsoonal moisture bringing those isolated to scattered thunderstorms mm -hmm. in central and eastern Oregon. So yeah, that red flag warning is bringing awareness about that. It's mm -hmm. something that we're going to be watching closely. Obviously, Camilla's in the mm -hmm. weather center today watching the radar. Um, and you know we're going to keep an eye on visible and infrared satellite imagery, which can detect some of the uh, new fire starts. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, that's something that's going on. Uh, and it, some of those storms may actually lead up into the Cascades as we wrap up yeah. the week. Mm -hmm. um, we are, yeah, we I, was, that. I was, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, yeah, I was just looking at that and it looks like our best chance of seeing something kind of drifting further West is going to be Saturday afternoon. Uh, we, that's when we could maybe see some things bubbling up in the Cascades, maybe Eastern slopes of the Cascades. So something to, you know, keep, keep in mind if you're camping or doing something like that in the mountains this weekend. That's, and that's pretty important stuff too. Yeah. Great point. If you're camping this weekend mm -hmm. and you're taking a long hike during the afternoon, that tends to be when these thunderstorms like to bubble up and create more of right. your lightning because they rely on daytime okay. heating. They're usually diurnally driven thunderstorms. So if you see yeah. the sky turn dark and certainly if you hear thunder, you're going to want to take shelter somewhere. That's something mm -hmm. that's really important. But you, you guys, we haven't had any big events, like big offshore wind events this right. season. Um, and it does tend to be more of a late season thing, like August, September, when we start to mm -hmm. get the cooler air masses working their way into the interior Northwest. And that helps to force the wind offshore. Um, but I bring that up because there are, is already one major fire that's burning. It's been burning since July 22nd in the Cascades. It's yeah. east of Eugene and west of Bend. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Both of you were mentioning this before we started the podcast that you would check some of the stats. Um, mm -hmm. So let's Let's talk about that fire. We'll mention uh, the flat fire down to the southwest of that. But um, who, uh, Katie, or. I'll, yeah, I'll go, go for that one just because okay. I've tracked fires in Central Oregon for a long sure. time. So I feel like I can speak to this one. So basically where that fire is sitting. So for, for those of you that don't know, the change in elevation in Central Oregon actually goes from the southwest to the northeast. So anywhere that's in Lapine or anywhere in that area, that is the highest elevation in Central Oregon. And then it drops as you go down toward 
warm springs and madras and then the same thing when you're in sisters you're actually in lower elevation than bend but that also has a drop as you go down toward prineville so you get a lot of that downslope wind when you come over the cascades in that direction so that's typically where whenever there is a red flag warning a fire weather warning a winter weather watch it kind of swings from the back side of Sisters down around the south side of Bend, kind of down the Deschutes River Woods area, and then curves off into the east. So that is almost always the area that has, if it's going to be one part of Central Oregon, that's where it is. And that's exactly where the smoke is coming from. So if you look at all the maps and you look at that northwest wind coming in and how it catches things, how things are funneled, all of that is just basically being channeled pretty much to Lapine right now. And then when the winds die down, everything starts to settle and then it settles down and drops into bend and then everything in that area starts to get it. The main times that we can get smoke in that upper areas, like around Warm Springs and Redmond and stuff, is when you get, there's the fire that's burning, and I don't remember what it's called because it's kind of an interesting name, but it's up near Warm Springs. Let, let me back up really S. quick. Let me back up really quick, Katie, for, for everybody yeah. that's curious. Katie, Katie's kind of talking about the terrain in central Oregon. Mm -hmm. Just to back up for a second, um, the Bedrock Fire is burning east of Eugene, west of Bend, up in the yes. Willamette National that's Forest. Where so that, it's, yep. it's up in the higher elevations, mm -hmm. and Katie's describing that this fire that's been burning since July 22nd has primarily been pushing smoke off to the east into some of those yeah. valleys Be down in Central Because of Oregon. that terrain, the way. Yeah. yeah. So that's why most of that smoke hasn't really drifted much up past Bend. It's the one that's a little more north of, like, north of Bend that's near the bed or near um, Warm Springs and Madras, that little one up there. That's the one that's given, like, Mount Hood, the hazy skies and things like that. Seen. Yeah. For and there's... I will say, though... Uh, predominantly the bedrock fire has been the big smoke maker in the yeah. past mm -hmm. week or so. And it, yep. it continues to be today. Um, and well, it grew a thousand since yesterday. So it's at 12,200 acres right now, just at 5% containment. Yeah. So, so that's, that's a fire that's pretty out of control and tough terrain to attack mm, yes. for firefighters. Uh, again, West of Bend, East of Eugene, it's in Eastern Lane County and there are, Currently, air quality advisories posted for Deschutes County, Lake, and Klamath County counties. Yep. Correct? Yeah. Um, yep. So that's that's a significant fire that um, it's is something to watch because again, our dominant wind pattern is onshore. Remember, onshore wind is from sea to land. So that tries you know every afternoon when that wind picks up that essentially a sea breeze, it pushes the uh, the smoke off to the east. So that's why. A lot of central and south central Oregon have had air quality issues the past mm -hmm. you know, yep. couple of weeks or so. Um, but you know, we we hope that we don't have much of an offshore wind event anytime soon because if we do, then more population zones west of the Cascades would probably get some smoke from right. that fire, and that tends to bring in drier air, et cetera. It's not a, an offshore wind opposite of the onshore is not what we want to see when fires are burning in the Cascades and. And we go back to the fact that, you know, we have a chance for isolated thunderstorms in the Cascades heading into the mm -hmm. weekend. Let's hope that we don't have any mm -hmm. new fire starts um, because I don't see any, you know, big relief from the heat and the dry, dry conditions coming soon. We just wanted to quickly make mention of the flat fire that I don't, mm -hmm. I don't have the stat on me, but that's, that fire broke oh. out earlier. If you guys mind checking. Right here. Um, yep. I have it right here. It's it at 29.3. So 29,300 and at 28% containment. Do you have mm -hmm. the stat of when it broke out though? 
the 15th of July. Okay, so that's been burning in the Rogue River Siskiyou National Forest. That's um, way down in southwest Oregon, extreme southwest Oregon, the corner of the yep. state. That's been burning since the middle of July, um, and that's mm-hmm. that's a large that has that has burned more acreage uh, so far than the Bedrock Fire that we were previously mentioned pe- mentioning, and that's at twenty eight percent containment. So they've created a you know perimeter of you know twenty eight percent around that fire. So those are the two big fires right now. Um, and now that we've mentioned you know the chance for isolated thunderstorms, the higher fire danger east of the Cascades, mm-hmm. um, it's probably important to mention as well that. Some of the computer models that we've been tracking and their ensembles, which are kind of averages, they tweak the model, you know, 50 or so times and, you know, pump out averages um, to give you an idea of what could happen in the long range. We are seeing some indications that around the second weekend of August, so we're, we're wrapping up, you know, and heading into the first weekend of August. Now, the second weekend of August, this is kind of looking out ahead, um, there could be a, an even stronger ridge of high pressure building along the West coast. And I just wanted to, you know, as a team, we want to give you your first alert that uh, it's possible that we could be looking at hotter temperatures, um, a more extreme heat wave than what we're experiencing right now. Instead Mm -hmm. of highs in the low to mid nineties, perhaps we could see our first triple digit heat. Um, It's, it's tough to determine exactly how hot it could get um, Mm -hmm. around the middle of the month. I think starting maybe 11th, 12th and lasting for maybe five days or so. But I just want everybody to be aware that, um, when this heat wraps up and we head into the eighties around, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we may not be done. We may see things ramp up again. And right. uh, this could, you know, if there are any new fire starts from, you know, the lightning that we're observing, uh, that could invigorate some of the, the fires out there. It's, it, intense heat brings more unstable air and that's what we don't want to see for fires. So just wanted to put that on everybody's radar. It's something that we'll let you know mm-hmm. if we see, uh, you know, continuing in the outlooks, but, um, we are, you know, it is the warmest time of year guys, but the atmosphere kind of works. Like if you were to put a, you know, pot of water on the stove and turn on the stove, the pot of water doesn't start boiling right away. You might be applying your most, the most heat, uh, say like around the summer solstice when the sunlight is most intense and the daylight hours are longest, but it takes a little while for the atmosphere to respond. So, the summer solstice, the longest day of the year in daylight hours happens around June 21st. But our most extreme temperatures or our, the warmest time of the year happens in late July and early August. Because again, yeah. the atmosphere takes some time to respond, kind of like a pot of water. Camilla, you're tracking some of the sunrises and sunsets. We are clearly starting to see the daylight hours shrink up, even though we are in the warmest time of the year. So uh, tell, right. tell our friends uh, at home and listening elsewhere, today is August 3rd. So give some stats and where we're at in terms of sunrises and sunsets. Yeah. So this morning, sunrise, 556, and our sunset this evening, again, August 3rd, 836. So we only have two more sunrises before 6 a.m. Starting on August 6th, that's our first 6 a.m. sunrise. And then as far as sunsets go, uh, Johnny, my husband, is very happy about this because he goes to bed at about 830 and, you know, it's still light out (laughs) or it has been. Uh, So he's excited that those are getting earlier. So um, we hit August 7th and that's our first 830 p.m. sunsets. And then let's see, our first uh, 8 p.m. sunset is going to be around the 25th, 26th. And then we get to uh, before 8 p.m. sunsets. So 
yeah, it's, I don't know how he falls asleep as early as he does. I'm going to be honest. Well, I was going to say, I never appreciate it. I used to love the sun staying up as long as possible, but yeah. now that I'm on GDO on the weekends, I'm yeah. like, could you just set already? I want to go to bed. Right. Well, <laughs> totally. Katie, Katie and I work the mornings. I mean, I work, work five days a week on the morning. So I'm kind of like, okay, I'm kind of dragging in the afternoons, but something that you're probably noticing Katie is that with the sunrise occurring a little bit later, we're starting to change our camera view a little bit (laughs) of the sunrise, getting those time lapses. We now have Mount Hood in those sunrises as well with that that Shriners camp. So yeah, things are kind of, you know, they're tilting a little bit more and more toward fall, even (laughs) though it does not feel like it. It doesn't look like it in the, in the long range and the current seven day forecast. Um, But I know there are like two people, uh, two types of people in the Pacific Northwest. One that are like, totally dreading the thought of fall, right? They just want these warm and sunny days to continue while others are like, bring on the rain. What, For sure. Where do, you, where do you guys fall in, in that category? Yeah. Which one are you, Katie? So I am, so I'm a, I am a beach girl. I love to go to the beach, so I'm totally happy with it. But if I had to pick one, the fall with a latte, a scarf and my boots, where it's like, it's not freezing cold. So you don't need like a super heavy winter jacket, but I'm, I'm sorry. I'm a pumpkin spice latte gal. So give me my PSL, give okay. me a scarf and my boots. And Fair I enough. am so happy because I love, and this was one of my favorite things of central Oregon where you get up in the morning and it's crisp and it's cool. And then you get to the afternoon and the sun comes out, but it's like 75. Yeah. That's like yeah. my perfect day. Yeah. That's fair. I feel like if I were still living in the Midwest, I would 100% say the same thing, like fall or spring all the way. But ever since moving to the Pacific Northwest and experiencing summers out here, I I'll, like even if it's whatever days in the upper 80s, like the fact that it cools down so quickly at night and the mornings are still crisp, uh, yeah. give me the sunny summer weather all, all day long. Yeah. Um, the, the summers here are just magical. I, incredible. I completely agree with you. Yeah. That. They are, um, you know, toward the middle to end of summer, I'm usually like, let's bring on the fall. I'm, I'm about ready. Um, <laughs> but then as soon as we hit about, you know, March, April, May, I'm like, I'm ready for some sunshine. Yeah. As soon as that sun comes out, like in spring, I feel like a yeah. moth, like totally. attracted to the street, the street light. I'm like, oh yes. my gosh, like give me all of it. Even on like our, on our computer monitors or our like TV monitors, when I see the sun rising, I'm like. Yeah, that's nice. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, But I know, again, everybody has their own opinion. And every time that we say, oh, yeah, this many days until fall, or this is where the sunrise and sunset is, we do Mm -hmm. offend some people. (laughs) Jokingly, (laughs) people do complain. So not intentionally, though. Okay, of course not. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we are kind of like toward the end of the podcast here. I did want to sneak in our weather term of the week because uh, this This has been a great thing. Yes. And Katie was kind of nudging us a few weeks back, like, let's get this, let's get this started. So um, we are yes. doing it. And uh, so we've gone over inversion, wind shear. Mm-hmm. This week's weather mm-hmm. term of the week is the sea breeze. So kind of oh. wanted to find the sea breeze Ooh. for you. Oh, yeah. Um, and then we'll kind of talk about it scientifically. So the sea breeze, it's an onshore breeze. So that, remember, that's from land or from sea to land, sea to land. Mm-hmm. It's an onshore breeze in any wind that blows from a large body of water like the ocean toward a landmass. It develops due to a difference in air pressure created by deferring heat capacities of water and dry land. As such, sea breezes are more localized than prevailing wind. So the way I like to think about a sea breeze, guys, is have you ever watched a hot air balloon rise or perhaps have you ever been in a hot air balloon? 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So not in one, way, but watch them. Same. Yeah, I haven't been in one either. I do want to get in one someday, but same. A hot air balloon rises because they apply heat right to the to the balloon if you've ever lived or been in a two-story house in summertime and the ac isn't cranked up you walk upstairs it's always warmer up there because that Mm -hmm. warm air is more buoyant it wants to rise to the highest place in the house or the atmosphere so if you think about the coast typically it's cool if you think about areas inland they're warm or hot so that air rises during the late morning and afternoon and something needs to fill the gap. The molecules are rising. Something needs to fill that gap. So what happens is the air starts rushing inland. Um, and that air, as it rushes inland, we feel that as that sea breeze. The wind mm-hmm. picks up. It initially is felt at the coast, you know, mid to late morning. It starts to get breezy. Then afternoon, it can get really breezy and gusty. Um, and that air rushes in. And eventually, we feel that, you know, four to five six o'clock or so in our western valleys and then it funnels through the gorge and almost every day like clockwork out toward the dalles we have that gusty westerly wind right um so that's the sea breeze essentially uh and that that's like it's a very typical summer pattern um but it's it's just Mm -hmm. a response to the diurnal cycle the way that you know the sun warms the land the land warms up faster than the ocean and and then you're probably wondering, okay, what does this have to do with the coast? Well, the coast every day, almost every day, it's in the 60s and 70s, right? Well, that's because yeah. where's the wind coming from? It's coming from offshore. It's moving over that cool Pacific Ocean, and it moves right over those cities along the coast. So it's always keeping those temperatures you know, more marginal or more mild out there versus areas inland. So, um, and yeah, the sea breeze happens up and down the West Coast. It happens elsewhere in the world. Um, so this is not just a Pacific Northwest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you guys have had experiences with the sea breeze and, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have any comments on it. I, so I am typically doing my like bike rides and things in the morning and early afternoon, which works out perfect. Cause that's typically, it's still pretty calm, uh, here in the, uh, interior Valley. So, uh, but yeah, I know like if, we're getting to a long ride, the end of a long ride, and it's, you know, 4, 5 p.m. on a weekend or something, uh, you start to feel that coming through, especially if you're, I mean, one time I remember we were riding in the gorge. You got to be really mindful about which direction you're heading first <laughs> when you're riding in the gorge. So uh, that's been my experience anyway. It's like, oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. I don't have anything else to add. <laughs> you know, um, I will note uh, when air rises and we don't have as many molecules down at the surface, like inland, like when we have the hot air balloon rising, it creates an area of low pressure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wind always wants to go toward the area of low pressure. Wind goes from an area of high pressure to an area of low pressure. So right. naturally that area of low pressure is formed and we have high pressure over the Pacific Ocean. So it's that difference that um, pressure gradient, if you will, that creates that wind. So um, yeah, we, we we like to pepper in these weather terms. Uh, it, it's it's becoming a thing here. Um, the weather podcast can be fun, but also we like to educate a little bit as well. Um, <laughs> it's fun so, and nerdy. It's a mix of both. <laughs> that's right. And uh, just to end uh, here, guys, I have like a heck of a harvest taking place in the backyard right now. We oh have cucumbers gosh. coming in. Katie is, my yep. wife has been pickling cucumbers. Uh, we have squash, mm-hmm. we have tons of tomatoes. Uh, Katie, you, not my Katie, Katie, Katie right here. Yeah. Uh, do you need any tomatoes? Like, are, are you running low <laughs> at this point or how, how's the harvest going over there? 
Well, I can tell you right now is I just came in with a bucket of tomatoes this morning. I went out and grabbed a bunch and I walk in. Yeah. And well, I should say bucket. I should say a large container. Okay. And uh, I walked in and my oldest, he's been eating cherry tomatoes off the vine since he was old enough to walk and grab them. And he just took them out of my hand and walked away. So I don't know if I will ever see them again. (laughs) So things have been pretty successful back at the Suniga house. Yeah. I think I might have mentioned this last time. I'm still having a little issue with my zucchini because I don't have enough bees in my backyard. So if your zucchini are not properly pollinated by bees, they grow about three inches and then they just die. And so I need to, this is one of my test things is I probably need to bring some more pollinator plants in my backyard when I like finally get my garden going next year to make sure I bring those bees in. Or I was talking with Kimberly Moss about this the other day when I did GDO with Andy and she's going to buy them and bring them in. And so I might do something. Like buy bees? Mm -hmm. And bring them in the yard because she's having that problem with her cucumbers. Her cucumbers are are popping off like that. So I do need to get some, um, I need to get some more bees in my backyard so my zucchini can grow. That's so interesting. How do you ensure, do you know, how do you ensure that the bees stay local to the area where you want them? I don't know. She just said she's going to buy them and bring them in. That makes me, I'm going to Google this. This is really interesting. That's cool. And yeah, so we'll, we'll see, but I'm, I know one way to ensure it is to put the pollinator plants to bring those in, you know, and make sure that there's things in there that they're really drawn to. So that's going to be my plan laying things out because I've only had a couple zucchini and I like to use my zoodler. I like to make zucchini chips, you know, I Mm -hmm. shred it and freeze it for bread in the winter time. Like I have all kinds of uses for it and I haven't had enough zucchini. Okay. So the plan is, uh, Camilla, you Google this bee thing. Um, I'm out for Katie so we can get some, (laughs) some chips in the the building and other tasty snacks. And and yes, I have a dehydrator. So I make my own zucchini chips. There nice. you go. And, and while we while you do that, I'm going to wrap up this podcast because uh, Camilla's got some shows coming up here in a little while and Katie's right. got her day off that she can enjoy the rest of the day yeah. of. So mm-hmm. um, thank you for joining us for episode 63. By the way, Mark Nelson is not here. We should have mentioned that earlier. <laughs> Where he's, is that man? He's, he's camping somewhere, I'm sure. But he'll. I'm sure he's going to tune in and he will be back next week. I think I haven't looked at the schedule, but Hopefully he's back. Uh, Depends on what day we do it. Yeah. Um, But thanks for always tuning in uh, to all the loyal viewers out there or listeners, depending on how you uh, tune in. And yeah, we'll be be back next week with updates on the heat and everything uh, related to the weather here in the Northwest. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Please tell us about the weather.